Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hey, welcome again to Engage 360. Glad to have you with us. I am Don Payne, your host, and want to give you uh, greetings again from everybody here at Denver Seminary. We're all really grateful that you uh, you listen. I keep being tempted to say tune in, but that's radio speak, and nobody's on a radio anymore, so I'm trying to find different lingo for that. You could be, though, Dr. Payne, because you have that DJ voice, that really resonant yeah, DJ voice. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> okay, but now to our guest. Whenever I meet someone who knows how to communicate compellingly to broad audiences and has some pretty good theological chops and ongoing theological hunger— uh, it always gets my attention, and about six months ago, I met one of those rare individuals in a Doctor of Ministry class here at Denver Seminary. Actually, I think our program has quite a number of those people, but I started to detect that this person was pretty widely known, so I thought you might enjoy hearing from her off script with somebody else controlling the agenda. <laughs> uh, so I want to welcome to the podcast Lisa Harper. Welcome, Thank Lisa. Thank you, Dr. Payne. I'm so excited to be here. Although that was the most, um, that just was half of the story because you did not tell them I was one of your more obtuse students who mispronounces multisyllabic theological terms. Yeah, well, we're not going to get into pericope <laughs> or pericope or anything like that, like we were talking about just before we started. So we'll, we'll leave that for maybe good, another good, one, a follow-up. Good. But we're really glad to have you here uh, in the not-so-famous-but-ought-to-be-famous DNR sound booth. This is the— uh, Should be famous. This is the, it ought to be famous, yeah. This is the sound booth that Don and Rob built, so it's the DNR sound booth. That, I like it. Um, uh, Rob Foley, our dean of students, and I built this in my garage. And it's, uh, you know, soon to be world-famous, or, I mean, it, it ought to be I like, world-famous. I like that it's all black because it's making me feel very slender. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, you'll notice that some of the tiles are falling off, but, you know, that's what you get when you build it in a garage with uh, materials from a DI, your local DIY store, right? It'll work. Uh, anyway, here we are in the DNR sound booth, and I, I want you to feel really honored uh, at being on this podcast, Lisa, because it is part of our policy here never to invite people who are more famous than me. <laughs> and that's a really small. You stay that's with a, the policy. That's you a totally re- stay no, 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 with no, the no, policy. No, 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 no. It's a really small pool. You see, because there are only about twenty people in the world who are <laughs> who are less famous than me. Can if you, you name follow that the, list? If you follow the lo- logic, which, <laughs> and if you follow the logic of that, that means that you know, in a week or two, we're going to have to shut down the podcast because I've exhausted my list of people who are less famous than me. I like Either it. that, or like we'll have it. to get another host. I might be twenty-one. Maybe I'll take twenty-one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we are uh, we're really glad to have you here. Um, so I, I pulled some stuff off of your website, and mm-hmm. for listeners, if you uh, want to learn more about Lisa, you can go to lisaharper.net. You'll find all kinds of good stuff there, some of which we'll be talking about in a bit. Uh, but I'm going to uh, rip off some of the quotes there. She's been lauded as a gifted communicator. Um, combine, her style combines sound scriptural exposition. Is that really true? That's a stretch. Okay. Yeah. Well, but she was being somebody, very kind. Okay. I know who said that. Well, that's that. what you you know you put on websites. Is kind, I know. I kind know. stuff people say about you. That's right? right. It's like an eHarmony profile. You only list the good stuff and post skinny pictures. Clear, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> uh, Max Lucado calls Lisa one of the best Bible tour guides around. Max Lucado. He's he's Man, a good what a rock guy. star. 
He is a kind, kind man. Okay. Okay, so Lisa's uh, resume includes six years as Director of Focus on the Family's National Women's Ministry. Uh, there she created the Renewing the Heart Conferences, attended by, is this 200 million or 200,000? must be 200,000 women. You know, then, I'm Baptist. <laughs> yeah, we know, could say yeah, it could be 200, 200 million. million. Sure, add a zero to that puppy. Yeah, right. And then uh, six years as the Women's Ministry Director at a large church in Nashville, or Nashville. Nashville. It's Nashville. If you're if you're a Tennessean, it's Nashville. Yeah, well, V-U-L-L. you know, you you and I both grew up in the South, so we That's know. Right. And part of my personal mission here at Denver Seminary is uh, cultural enlightenment. Oh, so it it is not Nashville. It's Nashville. Nashville, which well, is a few hours south of Louisville and a few hours north of, of Huntsville. Doctors we just sat with today said y'all, and I was very really? very impressed. Yes, uh, he's probably talking just about, trying to be cool. Uh, talking about qualitative analysis and use the word y'all. Did I really? thought those should be used. Did together. he have? Did he have the accent to back it up? It, it was Dr. Heather, so it was actually. She's Canadian. I know, but she said y'all like three or four times. I mean, she is a brainiac. I felt like I was, you know, drinking from a fire hose of brilliance, yeah. but she peppered her brilliance with y'all, so I was very proud. You know, I'm going to get some mileage out of that with her because she, well, I'm gonna, I think I'll it's because she it did there. her PhD just, work at Arkansas. I think Arkansas kind of got no, on her. No, uh, oh, oh, you're talking about Dr. Nesbitt, I not s- not Nesbitt, um, Dr. Wagner. Dr. Wagner, and yeah, I said, she, I said she, Heather, it's not Heather, it's Dr. Holly Wagner. Wait, no, no, no. My friend is Dr. Hollywood. What's You're Dr.? You're thinking about Dr. Betsy Wagner. But Dr. Betsy Wagner. Yeah, don't tell her. Who is actually from Minnesota, but she did her said doctoral y'all. work in Arkansas. Right, in Arkansas. She, was in she Arkansas. said y'all. Okay, so she has an excuse. Yes. So anyway, um, Lisa has a Master of Theological Studies from Covenant Seminary and is a highly sought-after Bible teacher, speaker, um, is kind of on the circuit, if you just want to put it crassly. She's got a lot of books out there, a lot of um, uh video-based Bible studies. She's written far more than I have, in fact. Uh, and I think her greatest, um, the, the, the greatest feather in her cap is her daughter, Missy. That's right. Who was adopted in 2014. Is that 2014. Correct? So okay. I, I brought her home from Haiti the same year I turned 50. So I went through menopause and motherhood at the same time. Uh, that's a pretty interesting story. <laughs> that's TMI, isn't it, on this podcast? <laughs> well, maybe for me, but not for others, perhaps. Yeah, okay. she's, she's an amazing kid and just God's redemption in my life. So, uh, That's great. Yeah, it was incredible. So in a, in a nutshell, if, if it can be put in a nutshell, what's the Lisa Harper backstory? What's, what's a bit of your journey? Mm, I, I grew up in a mostly Christian home. Parents divorced when I was little. Um, I thought when my dad walked away from us, it must be at least partly my fault. You know, that I either was uh, not good enough or pretty enough or didn't use my inside voice enough. And it was right after my father left us that I was in a, a church in Central Florida and a pastor, Brother Jimmy, was talking about how our Heavenly Father, God, never walks away from his kids. And I can still remember you in a small church, and I'm hanging on the back of the pew. You know, those are long wooden benches for yeah. your millennials. And they probably sing just as I am 50 times. And and I walk forward because I wanted a dad who wouldn't leave. And And so I became a Christ follower when I was five years old. But I thought that God um, didn't like me very much. I knew I needed him to deliver me from my sins. But I didn't understand, not that I completely understand it now at all, but I, I sure didn't think God delighted in mm. me. I knew 
as much as a five-year-old can know. I knew I needed yeah. deliverance, and I wanted the consistency of his fatherhood. And so I spent, goodness, I'd say the better part of 30 years um, talking a lot about God. I've always been a bit of a windbag. Didn't think I'd go in vocational ministry. Was in marketing and broadcast journalism and then got a youth ministry job soon after undergrad and then just kept going more and more on that ministry track by the kindness of God and also almost by mistake and didn't realize until I was about 35 that I was an emotional agnostic, you know, that I knew mm. some little bit of Greek and Hebrew and, mm-hmm. and got to talk about who God is and got to teach scripture. But in some corner of my heart, I really didn't think, um, didn't think God was enough for me. And I definitely didn't think God delighted in me. And so the second half of my life, if you will, has been about um, really learning to lean into God's embrace. That's why your class and Dr. Howard's class just slayed me because, uh, you know, and I told you this summer, um, sorry, feeling all estrogen, about to cry. But to hear again from somebody I trust who's, who's done the work and put in the sweat equity of really studying God and being with God, that he really is that kind. He really is that unconditionally loving. He is holy, perfectly holy as he is. He also condescends to make himself perfectly accessible to us, mm-hmm. and he's perfectly compassionate. So I'd say um, that's not a synopsis because I'm not good at concise, but I am just undone by the kindness of God. Always have been, but I believe it more. I could talk about it when I was younger, but didn't believe it as much as I do now. You know, that reminds me that, or it, it I guess makes me aware that a lot of us have perhaps a pretty good theology of God's forgiveness, that God is willing to forgive us, right. but maybe at a, in a functional manner, we think God does that against his will. Right. Yeah, I, he'll, I mean, he'll forgive us, but doesn't, absolutely. doesn't really want to. Right. I mean, I wouldn't have shared it in a book or a Bible study, but I think at some level, at least subconsciously, I thought God felt sorry for me. Mm. And it was less mercy than it was, oh, I'm God. It's my obligation you know, to save this little ragamuffin. Yeah. And so I could talk about grace, but I spent a lot of time and energy trying to justify myself. Yeah. Yeah. God. Man, I think that's actually quite common. Mm-hmm. I hear that kind of story, some version of that story, right. and you probably do as oh, well. over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. I think the the thing I hear most often as I travel and, and get to talk about Jesus is women saying in some form or fashion, there's just no way a God like that could really love a girl like me. Hmm. Hmm. So how did, how did you get started in the ministry you have? What, what's the the ramp like into that? Yeah. Um, Grace. <laughs> God uses donkeys and rocks. I've always been, my mom would say, I basically came out of the womb talking. And so I've always been a storyteller and went to, had gone to Christian camp when I was a kid in the summers. And between high school and college, I went to a, a Christian camp in North Carolina. And I can still remember it, Dr. Payne, I'm sitting there, maybe a thousand girls. And this woman got up as the, you know, the evening keynote speaker Dr. Rebecca Manley Pippert, and she, she, out of the salt shaker into the world, remember that? Yeah, I read her book. Oh, it was awesome, and, and I'd never heard a woman in that context, grew up in a super conservative culture, so I thought we just had to cross-stitch and bake casseroles, and then I had never heard that kind of narrative. She, I can still remember that she, she preached on the woman with the issue of blood, and talked about, I mean, I just was like, goodness gracious, you can tell stories, 
and it actually illuminates scripture. And wow, I would love to do this. But I didn't think that was a vocation. I just thought, I'll do that on the side, and I'll go into hospital marketing or broadcast journalism. And a couple of months out of, out of undergrad, I was working in marketing, and I had been involved in a youth ministry called Fellowship Christian Athletes. That was at camp, FCA, and high school and college. And they called, and there was an opening for a woman in Nashville, Tennessee. And I grew up in Orlando, so I thought Nashville okay. was like Cracker Barrel and country music and was not real excited <laughs> well, about I mean, it. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's Cracker Barrel and country music and blues okay. um, and hot yeah. chicken. But I went to this interview with FCA and tried to sabotage the interview because I thought, ooh, I don't want to be in vocational ministry and that'll be so boring and I'll have to wear turtlenecks and I'll be poor. And, yeah, and everybody's kind of weird. You know? A lot of people are. Yeah. yeah. And um, and because I was talking smack, I'd been reading some C.S. Lewis, and the guy who's running the ministry asked me, I think something along the lines of, "Do you want this position?" And I was like, "Oh, I just want to lean into the sovereignty of God." Just talking smack. And he said he was so impressed by my trust in God's sovereignty that he just had to hire me. So it really was just almost a mistake my first ministry hire um but I just fell in love with talking to people about Jesus and you know the first time you see that look cross somebody's face when they didn't think a God like that could love someone like them and you you get to talk with somebody about the Lord and they lean into the love of Christ they become a Christian they turn back to the Lord after a prodigal season that's just you know that's kind of spiritual caffeine mm-hmm. for me. And so I still can't quite believe I get to do this vocationally. Obviously, we're all in ministry if you're a Christ follower. I think those of us that are in vocational ministry need more incentive because we, we get paid at least a little bit to do what we do. But I, I love talking to people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. So you do a lot of things. I mean, you write. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked at the titles of the books and the curricula you've written and mm-hmm. It's pretty widespread. I mean, in terms mm-hmm. of the issues you hit, is there a set of central themes mm-hmm. or rails that that your ministry always seems to come back to or that propel it from mm-hmm. inside? I think it always comes back to the redemptive kindness of God. So I uh, studied uh, two years ago. I spent a year studying Job to write a Bible study curriculum on Job. But again, the message of Job is the kindness of God. You know, we think it's all about suffering. Suffering is the context, but the that backbone, that common denominator is even when life is really, really hard, God is really, really good. God is always kind. And so I find I didn't think that was my message. I wanted to be more I wanted to be smarter. I wanted to be academic, especially when I was younger. So I'd study people like you and try to paraphrase um, what true theologians said. But I think in my own brokenness, learning to lean into the kindness of God, that's the most authentic story I can tell, is that he is a good, good God. I believe holiness is really us becoming more convinced that he's kind because then we move closer into the person of who Jesus is and we become more like him. So everything I study, I feel like I always come back to that major chord of he's kind he is perfectly holy and perfectly accessible. So it's the it's the nearness of King Jesus that I talk about a lot. I I love that theology um, partly partly because I just completed a manuscript on the doctrine of sanctification, and this is a not oh, so wow. subtle advance plug for that. But that I didn't really say that. Um, <laughs> but that listen, really, I'll hawk really, it. I'll hawk it shamelessly, Doctor <laughs> That Payne. really does fit well with what I've uh, 
mm-hmm. come to believe holiness, sanctification is all mm-hmm. about is largely the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking, I can, uh, it's probably been 10 years ago, but I was talking to a guy I really respected uh, who was a professor, and I had been dinged by some people for not teaching enough about sin. And I thought, well, that's true. I mean, I'm certainly not an expert in anything, and I probably haven't taught enough about sin and and repentance, and I totally believe in repentance. And so I was just talking to him, and I said, I'm not not an expert on any of these things, but I tend to kind of come from everything I teach usually comes from the perspective of the kindness and the accessibility of God, who's perfectly holy. And, And I said, do you think I need to study sin more, like spend you know, a year sabbatical in Leviticus or something. And he paused for a long time, and I thought he was going to say something in Hebrew or something, and he Uh just said, Lisa, I think if you present the love of Christ, people will get holy. And I thought as simple as that was from this profound man, I thought if you do continually shepherd and steer and point and limpingly lead people toward the love of Christ— I believe sanctification will happen. Well said. I, I looked at, or I, I guess I took note of a few of the books. I want to talk about some of your books. Sure. You, I just have a few of the titles here. One is called A Perfect Mess, um, Believing Jesus. Um, you got some study curricula or mm-hmm. commentaries of sort of Malachi on Hebrews, on Mark, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the sacrament of the happy. I really want to talk about that too. Uh-huh. But of all, I mean, there and there's more. But of everything you've written, what is what's the favorite? What's your favorite? You know, I think I'd have to. Well, it's probably a toss up. Everything I write, even the trendy titles, are kind of sort of trendy titles. Not my my book sales would not say that I have anything trendy. I'm a very mediocre writer. But everything I've written is basically a Bible study disguised as a book. So um, a perfect mess subtitle is why you don't have to worry about being good enough for God. Yeah. It was a study of the Psalms, 13 Psalms. Believing Jesus was a study of Acts because, you know, you see in Acts that, that they didn't just believe in Jesus. They believed Jesus. You, you see practical theology. I love, I love the book of Acts. Um, but I'd, I'd probably say it's a toss-up between the Gospel of Mark, which was the nearness no, that was Hebrews, was the nearness of King Jesus. Now I can't remember the subtitle of Mark, but it was a, a Bible study Mark and a Bible study on Job. And I didn't expect to fall in love with either one. Frankly, the reason I wrote Mark is because Beth Moore had written on, on the other three Gospels. So I thought, And well, you got to keep up. Yeah, clearly, I, right? I got to. Well, no, I had to. I wasn't going to begin to write a Bible study that, that Beth had already you know written on. So I thought I've got to choose one that she hasn't. And I chose Mark. And it had been my least favorite Gospel up until then because... Mm. It's short, and I'm a windbag, and uh, it's not doesn't have that warm birth narrative like Luke. I just didn't resonate as much until I got into the backstory of Mark. And when you read about John Mark and you read about Pete and just the epic failures in their past and how in the sovereignty of God he appointed those two to write the first you know, gospel account, that just and that theme of compassion mm. in Mark, I fell in love with Mark's gospel. And then Job, I was studying happiness. And I thought, okay, I want to study something that is the exact opposite, or seemingly the exact opposite, of, of, jo- of, um, of happiness. And so what's the opposite of, of Makairos and, and Asher? And, and I thought suffering. 
So I look at pain and suffering and I thought, oh, this is going to be awful. This is going to be like sticking your hand in a blender. And from the very <laughs> beginning, you know, when you see right there in the beginning, first of all, pain isn't punitive. You know, it's a promotion. But I can't remember where it is. I'm sure you can. Chapter one, the latter part of chapter one, where it says that Job shaved his head and he tore his robe. So he was honest. He wasn't pretending, wasn't faking it when he was struggling. But then it says he shaved his head, tore his robe, and he worshiped. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what we usually think is a dichotomy to have a broken heart and then to worship, we usually think those are opposite ends of the same continuum. And I thought if we could really learn to worship when life is difficult and to understand the presence of God, begin to trust in the presence of God, the abiding of God, then we wouldn't have as many questions about why did this happen to me? Mm. And um, the whole story of Job just resonated with me. I haven't been through anything like that as far as pain, but in my own little corner of the world, being an older single woman, and I used to tease and say my husband is lost and won't stop to ask for directions. But, um, you know, <laughs> okay, truth, I mean, you're going to get stuck on that or the hand I know, in a blender. I know, One hand the, in a blender. Yeah, well, but go ahead. Truth of the matter is I was just so broken and so ashamed when I was younger that I was afraid of intimacy. And so I didn't get married because I was really drawn to abusers and God protected me from from the men I was drawn to and the few good godly guys I dated, God protected them from me because I was hot mess on a stick for so many years. And so just that that loneliness with a longing for intimacy, there were just some places where my heart was was really bruised. And then not being a mom, um, because I always thought I'd be a mom, and later in life just coming to that reality of I'm probably not going to have the life I longed for, and his kindness he has restored unto me the years I just served up to locusts on a silver platter through allowing me to become an adoptive mom with Missy. But, you know, there were so many seasons of disappointment. And so you said something, and again, I I wish I could quote this verbatim because it was so amazing, but you said something this summer that the gist of it was that when we look back over our lives, we should find ourselves tripping over God's grace. And I think that's why I fell so much in love with both Marky and Joe, because Mark, you've got these two misfits Mm. who were, had epic fails in their stories, and you look at that redemptive trajectory of of both of their lives mark and peter john mark and peter and then then job you see just the the consistent presence of god yeah and And that presence is what satisfied even though he never got his questions answered well because at the end you know when he says my my ears had heard of you but now my eyes have seen you that's before anything was restored yeah he got and he got his day in court absolutely and god never answered a single question not a single question but he he was he went away happy satisfied 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 and then of course i love the fact that his daughters are named (laughs) get an inheritance so i have that that little end of job that makes me happy yeah as as a woman but yeah those those would probably be my two highlights and song of songs okay i love the song of songs um, because I didn't think I could study it for years because I thought, ooh, goodness, that's like Daniel Steele in the Old Testament. But um, I was probably in my 30s, went to the beach on just a mini sabbatical. I had a friend who had a beach house. I just went for like three or four days by myself, rain the whole time. And the only books I had brought were my Bible and some commentaries on the Song of Solomon. And I started studying. Remember Craig Glickman's studies on the Song of yeah. Solomon? Well, and I remember Craig Glickman. I don't know that I ever read 
He has. Commentaries on there were several book. commentaries, but okay. but I had never looked at Song of Solomon any of the that context as being about metaphorically about the intimacy we can have with Jesus. But chapter four, verse nine, you know, the context of that wedding between Solomon and and his bride, when he says, "With one glance of your eyes, you captured my heart." That just filleted me mm. because I I was much more comfortable with God as a redemptive father. Um, I, I could kind of grasp or, or think about the holiness of God, but to think of God looking into my eyes and saying, Lisa, just one glance, you captured my heart. You know, I think Jerry Maguire stole the line mm. from, mm. from scripture. You have me at hello. That I'm, I'm still learning to really rest and believe that. Wow. Wow. It, the, your book, The Sacrament of the Happy, or The mm-hmm. Sacrament of Happy. Sacrament that, of Happy. Yeah, mm-hmm. that title really caught me. Now, is that about Job, or is that No, that's— tell, tell us about that book. Well, I've been accused my whole life of being happy, and I heard what when I was younger— What a horrible thing to be indicted I know, of. I know. <laughs> but honestly, I was a happy doppelganger for so long. I could look happy, act happy, had the inflection of happy, but was deeply, deeply sad— and I thought happiness, and I'd heard sermons on this, you know, I thought happiness was based on happenstance and joy was based on the acronym Jesus, others, and yourself. So I aspired to be joyful and I thought happiness was kind of the redheaded, you know, superficial cousin. And I just found myself thinking, okay, I, I want to study if happiness is even a characteristic that is valued in scripture and is our God happy? Because I think so often he's presented as this unibrowed, you know, punitive librarian. No offense to librarians anywhere. I love our librarians here, but uh, I'll just say punitive. And I thought, I want to change my own inner perspective and imagine God actually looking at me with a countenance of delight. Not to be too anthropomorphic, but I thought, is he happy in, in his character and, and the way he considers me. And I was just shocked by how many times happy is in biblical text. You mm. know, almost it's almost always translated as blessed in our English Bibles. But, you know, the Psalter starts with happy. God defines himself in First Timothy as a happy God. And, of course, the biblical definition of happy is pretty different than certainly our modern yeah, culture. Yeah, the, the thinner, right. circumstantial Right, it's not a ha-ha pleasure. happy. It is yeah. that consistent fulfillment and contentment. But that study, too, helped me understand that, you know, true biblical happiness is not based on circumstances, and it's not incongruent with disappointment or difficulty or pain. It really is leaning into the love of God. So that was a that was a uh, usually what I choose to study ends up being wildly convicting, comforting and convicting. But that I really, really enjoyed studying the theme of happiness in Scripture. I wish we had time to talk more about that because in some upcoming episodes, uh, we're going to do um, kind of a multi-part series on both suffering and happiness. Mm-hmm. And, you and know, people they, think they are incongruent, yeah, but when you see yeah. those usually are— Two halves of the same whole. Absolutely. I don't think, at least in my own life, I'll say this experientially, my my joy, my happiness, there was a lid on it because I was afraid to go to the sad places with God. Mm. And it's when I learned lament. And um, a couple of years ago, well, about 12 years ago, Dr. Payne, I had just this, I'd kind of always been able to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And I... 
I had a season where I lost two primary relationships, was diagnosed with cancer. And I mean, I just, I just couldn't pull myself out of the hole. And I sensed God saying, you know, you said I went to a PCA seminary, so you've got to know it takes a while for me to be convinced in the, in, in wonders, but I've become much more Pentecostal. My understandings later in life, I at least want to be prayed for by Pentecostals. But anyway, um, I sensed God say to me, Lisa, I'm going to take you to the basement of your life, and I'm going to sit there with you in the dark until fear doesn't own you anymore. Hmm. And it's going to the really sad places in my life and trusting that God really was there that took the lid off my joy. Mm. So I think they're actually related. Yeah, and I wonder whether uh, in in many instances uh, it's the it's the lack of a of a robust theology of mm-hmm. suffering that keeps mm-hmm. us from being able to have a substantive theology of happiness. Uh, 100%. We, we polarize them or we avoid right. one right. and so then we we thin out the other. Right. Uh, and have all kinds of maybe maybe cute right. little ways of saying, well, God's not as, I know this is a popular one, and I hope this is not too offensive. It, it is fairly popular to say God is not concerned about your happiness. He's concerned mm-hmm. about your holiness. Right. Now, I don't think you can support yeah, that. I don't, know that, I don't know that you can pit those against Mm-mm, each other in quite either. that way unless you have a very thin understanding right. of what happiness is. Well, I think, and that's what I was trying to study and hopefully begin to be able to teach through that particular study on the sacrament of happy you know in sacrament i knew would step on toes of a lot of people but i thought at its broadest understanding it is an an outward expression of an inner grace so i thought generally speaking you could say happiness is a sacrament based on how god reveals it through scripture but i had that thin understanding and thinking very binary when it came to joy and pain or happiness and suffering And to see that, no, those are all in the same continuum. And it doesn't mean God is any less kind when we don't feel joy. And the more I lean into the compassion of God, the more I actually feel consistent joy, even when I'm disappointed or even when I'm sad, that joy, that fulfillment, that contentment, that happiness, as as the Bible would describe it, that doesn't wax and wane for me circumstantially the way it used to. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, let me shift gears just for a second and ask you about, um, well, kind of why you're here. You are now in the Doctor of Ministry program here at Denver Seminary. What? I'll put this kind of crassly. I mean, you're on the circuit. Okay, <laughs> you're more famous than me, which doesn't say anything. Which 21. doesn't I'm say right any, you're 21. 21. So it doesn't say anything. But you know, you are. <laughs> Uh, what what prompted you to pursue further education in a DMN program? Yeah, that's a good question. There are really three uh, prompts. And the first two uh, sound trite, but they were, for me, very serious. One is I am 56 years old, and I've got a 10-year-old daughter and um, brought Missy home from Haiti when she was four. I want her to love learning. I want her to see me, even as a middle-aged woman in Spanx, just constantly enthused by God and his word. And so I thought I want to model that for my own daughter, uh, being a lifelong learner, and and even more so being more and more and more in love with Jesus, never hitting that saturation point, just always going, oh, he's even better than I thought, oh, he's even better than I thought. And then secondly, is kind of connected with that one, I want to see Jesus more clearly. Um, it, it doesn't, you know, academia doesn't necessarily carry weight if you're a female windbag. 
But I thought I need to sit under people like you, like the profs here at Denver Seminary, to understand who Jesus is um, in a in a way that is sound, in a way that is congruent with biblical orthodoxy. And then third, um, because I, I have the undeserved privilege of ministering to a lot of women, I have met at this point, I think, countless women who will say in part, usually in private to me, that they think because of their gender, God is less pleased with them or they associate biblical fidelity with misogyny. And I thought, you know, I feel like the the latter part of my my life, but certainly my ministry, is I want to help women go, oh, my goodness, I may have gotten some wrong theology or some bad exegesis, but God is not any less pleased with me, in love with me because of my gender. And you could say that with race or culture or authenticity, but my wheelhouse is women. And so I thought, man, what do I want to leave for the women behind me who love Jesus? I want them to be more convinced that Scripture is redemptive. And I want to help bring women back toward biblical fidelity um, because the Bible is not remotely misogynistic. We've got a few people are who are and maybe a few cultures who are and a few organizations that are. But you see that polarization today where I meet so, so many women who think uh, to be all that God has created me to be, I've got to at least drift from biblical fidelity. And I want to go, oh, no, 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 no. It's actually just the opposite. The more you lean into God through his revealed word, you will actually find him to be more compassionate than you can possibly understand. And so I I want to kind of be this clarion call in what feels like a cultural wilderness, and partly because of the Me Too movement. Um, I think you've got a lot of of women, especially I'd say women under 40, who are associating gender discrimination with uh, with traditional Christian values. And that's just, it may have been interpreted like that, but it's not true based on God's character or but God's it, word. Yeah, and it does, it does um, painfully illustrate the importance of theology, of good right. the- theology affects life. It does. It is not an abstraction. It well, affects you know, life one way or the other. Right. You say over and over again, for us to get that theology is to be lived, theos, God, logos, words, conversation about God, a lot of women I get to be with associate theology with something that is dry that is lifeless, that is that is condescending or punitive. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not at all biblical theology. And so to be more effective in the circles that I have the privilege of interacting, I thought I, I need to learn more. And that's exactly what's happened. I feel like in some ways I'm, I'm finding a fifth gear that I didn't know I had. Wow, that's exciting. That's a great image. Okay, so what? Um, here's my stupid question. Well, I'm going to get <laughs> into some stupid questions, I guess. What would you be doing if you were doing anything else? Well, when I was younger, What's your alter ego. My my alter ego is I I always have loved nature, and I kind of fancy myself. You do too, although I've I've lost my capacity to do it very well. But I always fancied myself as an explorer. I would love to be a mountaineer, either a mountaineer or a marine biologist. I grew up in Florida and grew up at the beach, and yeah, I yeah. my dream was always to swim with dolphins. Um, you know, after I saw Blackfish, I, I stopped wanting to ride Shamu because I saw that as being so awful. But I still, <laughs> to this day, when I take Missy to the beach, if there are wild dolphins near us, yeah. I'll find myself kind of encroaching in their space, just sure that one of them is a flipper is going to come up and we're going to be fast friends. So probably a mountaineer or, or a marine biologist. Oh, that's funny. I'm going to I'm going to veer 
very briefly out of the stupid questions. <laughs> Tell us just a little bit more about Missy. Oh, goodness. She's the most amazing kid. I'll try to keep um, this to an hour or less. Okay. okay. I know. Boy, <laughs> that's, that's going to be a huge discipline. <laughs> um, I started the adoption process in my late 40s. Early 40s, I was praying about it, and a woman in church actually told me that I didn't have the right to become a mom because I had been had molestation when I was a kid. And she said, I know you've been to Christian counseling, but just in case you weren't fixed, you might unwittingly transfer mm. some of the trauma you experienced as a child onto a child of your own. Amazing how even... In Christian circles, we can have people using the Bible as yeah, a club. So yeah, that yeah. deterred me. I didn't think I could be a mom for years. But in my late 40s, I started the adoption process and lost two adoptions before, uh, right after a loss that was just eviscerating, heartbreaking. Two weeks after that, I was still deeply grieving. Uh, a friend I hadn't talked to in years, I'd known in a Bible study years before, called and she said, Lisa, I know that um, you're still grieving the loss of this child at the 11th hour. But she said, I just got home from Haiti last night. And she said, while I was in this village, one of the young moms in the village died. She died of AIDS. And she left behind a, a little girl who's two years old who is really, really sick. She has HIV and tuberculosis and cholera. And the doctors at Port-au-Prince have told us she has less than two months to live unless somebody, really anybody, um, stands in the gap for her, and then she'd have the possibility of medicine. And she said, uh, you know, I know you have stated before that you wanted a child that nobody was really standing in line for, and not because I'm a martyr, but because I'm single. And I think best case scenario, my opinion, is a kid gets a mama and a daddy. And I don't know if I'll ever marry because my eHarmony profile is all jacked up. But um, <laughs> so I just, you know, I told the adoption agent if there's a child that does, it doesn't look like there's a, a great possibility for them to be adopted in a with a two-parent family, I'd lo- love to be considered. And she had heard that from another friend. And she said, so I just called to see if you'd be willing to pray about um, about stepping into the adoption process with this little girl. Her name's Missy. She wasn't, Missy wasn't even in the adoption process. Her mom had just died. Her mama didn't know she was sick. Hmm. And and I said, no. I said, I've been praying about this for 30 years. Sign me up. And then I got off the phone and said a word that is not in the Bible because I was so overwhelmed. I thought, crud, I have no idea how to do this. I mean, I'm, I'm middle-aged. I'm single. This baby's really, really sick. The doctors are saying she's not going to live. And I was like, goodness gracious, God, what did I just agree to? And six weeks later, I landed in her village, a rural village in Haiti, and they put her in my arms. She was two and a half years old, 17 pounds, just tiny, really sick. And she didn't like me at all at first because you know, I'm just this huge, pale stranger. And I looked at her, and I, I don't really have language to wrap around it. I just thought, oh, my goodness, my heart just crawled out of my chest. Um, it was like stick a fork in me. I am done. And after a couple of minutes, she reached up and grabbed my pinky finger. I remember it like it was yesterday. Been been eight years ago now. And she went, hello, Mama Blanc. That's hello, white mama. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, and that started a two-year process of adoption. And she's, I mean, I'm pathologically biased, but she really is... An extraordinary kid. She I remember loves meeting life. her in yeah. Dillon last yeah, summer. That's right. That's right. Just a she's, she's young lady. Winsome and happy and yeah. you know, went to counseling the first year after I brought her home just to work with obviously there's issues with her losing her mama and abandonment issues and after a couple of months our therapist said, Lisa, 
Missy's fine. Like she's totally attached. Used to We're need to come to therapy, now. right? Yeah. <laughs> right. But um, she's just. I mean, she, Jesus is the joy of my life. Jesus is the reason I get up in the morning. So Missy is not my hope. Jesus is my hope. But man, Missy, she's other than my salvation, though, huh? she is. Other than my salvation, she is the most extraordinary gift he has he has allowed me to How steward. Fun to hear. How yeah. fun to hear. She. I mean, she wears me out. Yeah. You know, because I'm an old, older single mom. And so sometimes I think, I didn't know I could be this tired to the utter marrow of my bones, but it's a glorious kind of exhaustion. Yeah, good tired. Yeah, good it tired. is a good tired. Okay, last question. Mm-hmm. What is the fastest you have ever driven? Oh. And I don't mean ridden. Okay, I have to I mean qualify driven, this. driven. Now, I'm not going to ask what the conditions were, whether it was legal or illegal. I don't, don't want to know. Because this know. is so is, exposing my sin. What is the fastest you have ever well, driven? Well, first of all, I have to tell you it was on a motorcycle because, you know, I'm a biker. Um, when I turned 40, I told God if I didn't get a husband, I was going to get a Harley Davidson. So I bought my first street bike at 40. And also as a woman. Who, I don't think I knew that. Did you not know that? I don't, yeah, I've I had a series. But grew up riding dirt bikes okay. and then started riding street bikes when I was 40. Part of it is because, you know, I grew up Baptist. And as a woman who grew up Baptist, you need an excuse to wear leather pants. And so. <laughs> so I hadn't um, thought about that. But yeah, yeah I, I, I don't think that would be in your wheelhouse, okay. in your purview. But. Um, I have been, I will just say I have exceeded, I've been in triple digits on a motorcycle. I do not advise it. I don't think it was wise. And it was in a very safe area with no cars and I did wear a helmet, but it was, it was, it was so wrong and so fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty good note, I think, to end on. Lisa Harper, thanks. Oh, thank you, Dr. Payne. This has really, really been a delight. And again, uh, you can find out a lot more about uh, Lisa, m- most of it true, I think, on her website, Lisa Har- half, LisaHarper.net. <laughs> uh, and there you can also uh, see the curricula, the books, the, um, the videos, all, mm-hmm. all the stuff uh, that she's produced, which I would highly encourage you to look at. It's a pretty good website. Thank you. And we are really, really glad to have you here and have you studying with us in the Doctor of Ministry um, program. Really grateful. Yeah. Very grateful to be well, here. Well, on behalf of, again, all of us here at Denver Seminary, and this is uh, Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. I'm Don Payne, your host. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you will again next week. Take care.